Section 31 of the Algonquin Legends of New England. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Algonquin Legends of New England, or Myths and Folklore of the Micmac, Passamaquoddy, and Penobscot Tribes, by Charles Godfrey Leland. Section 31. Atosis the Serpent. How two girls were changed to water snakes and of two others that became mermaids, Passamaquoddy. The Cumquess, or Thoroughfare, is sixty-five miles from Campobello. There was an Indian village there in the old times. Two young Indian girls had a strange habit of absenting themselves all day, every Sunday. No one knew, for a long time, where they went or what they did. But this was how they passed their time. They would take a canoe and go six miles down the Grand Lake, where at the north end is a great ledge of rock and sixty feet of water. There they stayed. All day long they ran about naked or swam. They were wanton, witch-like girls, liking eccentric and forbidden ways. They kept this up for a long time. Once while they were in the water, an Indian who was hunting spied them. He came nearer and nearer, unseen. He saw them come out of the water and sit on the shore, and then go in again. But as he looked they grew longer and longer, until they became snakes. He went home and told this, but now they had been seen by a man they must keep the serpent form. Men of the village, in four or five canoes, went to find them. They found the canoe and clothes of the girls, nothing more. A few days later two men on the Grand Lake saw the snake girls on shore, showing their heads over the bushes. One began to sing, Nikitia yebin iut quespen me ke aus. We are going to stay in this lake a few days and then go down the river. Bid adieu to our friends for us. We are going to the great salt water. After singing this, they sank into the water. They had very long hair. A picture of the man looking at the snake girls was scraped for me by the Indian who told me this story. The pair were represented as snakes with female heads. When I first heard this tale, I promptly set it down as nothing else but the Melusina story, derived from a Canadian-French source. But I have since found that it is so widely spread, and is told in so many different forms, and is so deeply connected with tribal traditions and totems, that there is now no doubt in my mind that it is at least pre-Columbian. Another and a very curious version of this story was obtained by Mrs. W. Wallace Brown, who has been the chief discoverer of curious Indian lore among the Passamaquoddies. It is called Niwas, the Mermaid. A long time ago there was an Indian with his wife and two daughters. They lived by a great lake, or the sea, and the mother told her girls never to go into the water there, for that if they did, something would happen to them. They, however, deceived her repeatedly. When swimming is prohibited, it becomes delightful. The shore of this lake sands away out, or slopes to an island. One day they went to it, leaving their clothes on the beach. The parents missed them. The father went to seek them. He saw them swimming far out and called to them. The girls swam up to the sand, but could get no further. Their father asked them why they could not. They cried that they had grown to be so heavy that it was impossible. They were all slimy. They grew to be snakes from below the waist. After sinking a few times in this strange slime, they became very handsome, with long black hair and large bright black eyes, with silver bands on their necks and arms. When their father went to get their clothes, they began to sing in the most exquisite tones, Leave them there, do not touch them, leave them there. 
Hearing this, their mother began to weep. But the girls kept on. It is all our own fault, but do not blame us. Twill be none the worse for you when you go in your canoe. Then you need not paddle. We shall carry it along. And so it was. When their parents went in the canoe, the girls carried it safely on everywhere. One day some Indians saw the girls' clothes on the beach, and so looked out for the wearers. They found them in the water and pursued them, and tried to capture them, but they were so slimy that it was impossible to take them, till one, catching hold of a mermaid by her long black hair, cut it off. Then the girl began to rock the canoe, and threatened to upset it unless her hair was given to her again. The fellow who had played the trick at first refused, but as the mermaids, or snake-maids, promised that they should all be drowned unless this was done, the locks were restored. And the next day they were heard singing and were seen, and on her who had lost her hair it was all growing as long as ever. We may very easily detect the hand of locks, the mischief-maker, in this last incident. It was the same trick which Loki played on Sif, the wife of Odin, that both Lox and Loki were compelled to replace the hair and make it grow again, the one on the snake-maid, the other on the goddess, is, if a coincidence, at least a very remarkable one. It is a rule with little exception, that where we have to deal with myths which have passed into romances or tales, that which was originally one character becomes many, just as the king, who has but one name and one appearance at court, assumes a score when he descends to disguise of low degree and goes among the people. But when, in addition to characteristic traits, we have even a single anecdote or attribute in common, the identification is very far advanced. When not one but many of these coincidences occur, we are in all probability at the truth. Thus we find, in the mythology of the Wabanaki, as in the Edda, the chief evil being indulging in mere wanton comic mischief, to an extent not to be found in the devil of any other race whatever. Here, in a mythical tale, the same mischief-maker steals a snake-girl's hair, and is compelled to replace it. In the Edda, the corresponding mischief-maker steals the hair of a goddess, and is also forced to make restitution. Yet this is only one of many such resemblances in these tales. It will be observed that in both cases the hair of the loser is made to grow again. But while the incident has in the Edda a meaning, as appears from its context, it has none in the Indian tale. All that we can conclude from this is that the Wabanaki tale is subsequent to the Norse, or taken from it. The incidents of tales are often remembered when the plot is lost. It is certainly very remarkable that wherever the mischief-maker occurs in these Indian tales, he in every narrative does something in common with his Norse prototype. Of the woman who loved a serpent who lived in a lake, Passamaquoddy. Of old times there was a very beautiful woman. She turned the heads of all the men. She married and her husband died very soon after, but she immediately took another. Within a single year she had five husbands, and these were the cleverest and handsomest and bravest in the tribe, and then she married again. This, the sixth, was such a silent man that he passed for a fool, but he was wiser than people thought. He came to believe, by thinking it over, that this woman had some strange secret. He resolved to find it out, so he watched her all the time. He kept his eye on her by night and by day. It was summer, and she proposed to go into the woods to pick berries and to camp there. By and by, when they were in the forest, she suggested 
that he should go on to the spot where they intended to remain and build a wigwam. He said that he would do so, but he went a little way into the woods and watched her. As soon as she believed that he was gone, she rose and walked rapidly onwards. He followed her unseen. She went on till, in a deep wild place among the rocks, she came to a pond. She sat down and sang a song. A great foam or froth rose to the surface of the water. Then in the foam appeared the tail of a serpent. The creature was of immense size. The woman who had laid aside all her garments embraced the serpent, which twined around her, enveloping all her limbs and body in his folds. The husband watched it all. He now understood that the venom of the serpent having entered the woman, she had saved her life by transferring it to the others who died. He went on to the camping ground and built a wigwam. He made up two beds. He built a fire. His wife came. She was earnest that there should only be a single bed. He sternly bade her lie by herself. She was afraid of him. She laid down and went to sleep. He arose three times during the night to replenish the fire. Every time he called her, and there was no answer. In the morning he shook her. She was dead. She had died by the poison of the serpent. They sunk her in the pond where the snake lived. I do not omit this ghastly and repulsive legend for the following reasons. One might hastily conclude from its resemblance to the old legend of the origin of the Merovingian family that this idea of the woman with the horrible water-spirit for a lover was of Canadian-French origin. But a story like it in the main detail is told by the Indians of Guiana, and that of the faithless wife, given in Rink's tales and traditions of the Eskimo, is almost the same. But in the latter the husband revenges himself by stuffing the woman full of poisonous vermin. Rink says that he had five different versions of this tale, and that one was from Labrador, a country often travelled by the Micmacs, and even by the Penobscots and Passamaquoddies. I myself, knowing one of the latter who has been there, I conjecture that this tale sets forth the aboriginal idea of the origin of a certain disease supposed to have come from America. It is popularly believed among the vulgar that this disease can be transferred to another person, thereby removing it from the first. Of this, the Reverend Thistledown Dyer, in his folklore of Shakespeare, says, According to an old but erroneous belief, infection communicated to another left the infector free. In allusion to which Timon of Athens, Act 4, Scene 3, says, I will not kiss thee, then the rot returns to thy own lips again. Bonifacius Historia Ludicra has collected all the instances known to classical antiquity of women who had serpent lovers. The kings of the early races of Central America laid great stress on the fact that they were descendants of serpents. One could fill a volume with all the Arab, Hindu, and other Oriental tales belonging to the beloved of Ophitic monsters. I am indebted for this very curious and ancient tale to Governor Thomas Josephs, of Peter Dana's Point, Maine. THE MOTHER OF SERPENTS Passamaquoddy. There was once a couple well advanced in years. They were powerful and rich in the Indian fashion, but they were unhappy because they had no children. This was near the river St. John's on the shore of a small lake. After the woman had gone in vain to all the medicine men and Metulin, she heard of an old doctress, or witch, who lived not very far off. And though hope was almost dead, the witch was consulted. 
she gave the wife some herbs and bade her steep them in a pot out of doors and then let them boil when the vessel should dance over the flame the propitious moment would be at hand everything succeeded according to the witch's prediction a few days after she appeared in the town the mother who was a very proud woman had in advance hung up an indian cradle with very fine ornaments the old woman was very dirty poor and squalid the proud woman was furious at the visit which mortified her in every way she drove the witch away with bitter words bidding her be gone with her rags the old woman went away muttering that woman too proud too ugly proud i'll see footnote the story was narrated in indian english End of footnote. what she saw was bad for the mother she took some more herbs from her box and threw them in the fire crying with a loud voice atosis atosis and imitated the motions of a snake when the proud woman was confined she gave birth to two large serpents they had each a white ring around the neck and red stripes down the sides as soon as they were born they went rapidly to the lake and disappeared in its water they have been seen there now and then ever since she who gave birth to them was a mohawk and she is called the mother of the serpents another passamaquoddy tale gives the following account of the origin of the serpent race once there was an indian sorcerer come to a wigwam where there was a man who had a very handsome daughter the magician wished to win the girl the father made up his mind that he should not have her the magician told them that he was very wealthy and had a great lodge filled with furs and wampum it was of no use then he told the father that if he would go and cast his lines in a certain place he would catch as many of the finest fish as he wanted the old man went but took his daughter with him when they returned loaded with fish the magician smiling said to the girl with great mystery when you have cooked these fish always throw away the tail and begin by eating the head first he knew very well that her curiosity and perversity would make her disobey him she waited with impatience till the man had left when she hurried to cook and eat the fish thereby she became a mother and the magician had his revenge origin of the black snakes passamaquoddy far away very far in the north there dwelt by the border of a great lake a man and his wife they had no children and the woman was very beautiful and passionate the lake was frozen over during the greater part of the year one day when the woman cut away the ice she saw in the water a bright pair of large eyes looking steadily at her they charmed her so that she could not move then she distinguished a handsome face it was that of a fine slender young man he came out of the water his eyes seemed brighter and more fascinating than ever he glittered from head to foot on his breast was a large shining silvery plate the woman learned that this was atosis the serpent but she returned his embraces and held conversation with him and was so charmed with her lover that she not only met him more than once every day but even went forth to see him in the night her husband noticing these frequent absences asked her why she went forth so frequently she replied to get the fresh air the weather grew warmer the ice left the lake grass and leaves were growing then the woman waited till her husband slept and stole out from the man whom she kissed no more to the lover whom she fondled and kissed more than ever at last the husband's suspicions being fairly aroused he resolved to watch her to do this he said that he would be absent for three days but he returned at the end of the first day and found that she was absent 
As she came in he observed something, like silvery scales on the logs. He asked what they were. She replied, Brooches. Footnote. Niskamano. Coins of all sizes hammered out by the Indians and made into pin brooches. End of footnote. He was still dissatisfied, and said that he would be gone for one day. He went to the top of a hill not far distance, whence he watched her. She went to the shore and sat there. By and by they rose up out of the lake at a distance, what seemed to be a brightly shining piece of ice. It came to the strand and rose from the water. It was a very tall and very handsome man dressed in silver. His wife clasped the bright stranger in her arms, kissing him again and again. The husband was awed by this strange event. He went home and tried to persuade his wife to leave the place and to return to her people. This she refused to do. He departed. He left her forever. But her father and mother came to find her. They found her there. They dwelt with her. Every day she brought to them furs and meat. They asked her whence she got them. I have another husband, she replied, one who suits me. The one I had was bad and did not use me well. This one brings all the animals to me. Then she sent them away with many presents, telling them not to return until the ice had formed. That was in the autumn. When they returned, she had become white. She was with young, and soon gave birth to her offspring. It consisted of many serpents. The parents went home. As they departed, she said to them, When you come again you may see me, but you will not know me. Years after some hunters, roaming that way, remembered the tale, and looked for the wigwam. It was there, but no one was in it. But all the woods about the place were full of great black snakes, which would rise up like a human being, and look one in the face, then glide away without doing any harm. End of section 31